Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth and joined in the pod this week by... Mark Ellen And... Andrew Harrison. Who everybody was worried about in the previous podcast that Andrew appeared that he wasn't quite loud enough. Apparently I was quite quiet. Which is a problem we've never had before. He was loud enough but he was drowned out probably by the guffaws from you and me. It's the, what happens. it's the barking seal on my left, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> drowning out the thoughtful Dormouse-style yes, northerner right. on my right. So we're going to see if we can redress that balance, Andrew. Yes. I'm just going to move my chair closer to the mic and we'll see what happens. But don't be afraid to speak up for yourself, Andrew. Okay. Because <laughs> I know you're a shy person. <laughs> uh, and um, we begin on, on, a, on a bit of a topical note, actually, because today is a very significant day in, uh, in the entertainment calendar, because today is the day that Paris Hilton actually goes into Chokey. Yes. Um, for uh, misdemeanours involving well, drinking and driving. And, uh, for for an ever-shortening sentence. Yeah. Just, does, does it get shorter every day for remission for good conduct? He hasn't even gone in. Oh, yes, I suppose so. It was 40-odd days at the beginning. It was, and, yeah. and then um, it became 23 days because of good behaviour. I want to know where this good behaviour is and when it happened, because I haven't seen anything It happened before anywhere. she got to jail. Yeah. Um, and will she do the full 23? I don't know. I think it might turn into a kind of celebrity lens. We might get this every year, 23 days of Paris Hilton in Nick. <laughs> and, uh, but people have really liked it. And um, I, I was actually in New York when it was announced that she was going to jail. And there was cheering in the bar. Oh, people, yeah. were, people were clinking their glasses together. There was a demo. There was a free Paris Hilton demo uh, a couple of weeks later. Again in New York. And three people turned three up. Three people. So we know there is a god. Yeah, where did, where did, where did this blowing. take place? Was this convened in a telephone box somewhere? This no, they, they, they did it in a, in a, in a big park somewhere. Um, <laughs> How did they find each other? Big drafty well, park. Well, yeah, well, there must have been picnics that were bigger than the demo. Like, Are you here for the free Paris Hilton demo? No, I'm, I'm just like barbecuing this chicken wing. Yeah, I'm, just wait, I'm just waiting to flash somebody. Yeah, yeah too, right? Well, so, we see a picture of her there falling out of this jail in 23 days' time as a pair of high heels, you know, completely pissed. Well, she'll, she'll, come out, she'll come out and she'll say, I've really grown as a person. No, well, she's now, Andrew, she's, 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 she's saying this already. Is she? Yeah. This, is, this is Paris Hilton. She'll be enormous as a person. Pre-chokey statement is, I'm using it in a positive way. 
And when I come out, I'm using it in a positive way. I'm going to jail. I'm using it in a positive way. And I can't wait to start my new life and be even stronger than I am now. Well, the movie Bangkok Hilton will be appearing shortly in your uh, local multiplex. <laughs> and it'll feature her. The, the, the thing I like about this is she went, she's going to jail straight from the MTV Awards. The stretch just turns up. Yeah, to go out on the, on the carpet, do a little, you know, look, look in three different directions at the cameras, and then straight to jail. And then change into his crow's foot suit in the car. Yeah. No, <laughs> one of the aspects of Paris Hilton that fascinates me is the is the Stengali figure often seen behind her. Elliot Mintz. Which is Elliot Mintz, who is her PR man. Now, astonishing. He worked for Dylan, uh, Don Johnson. Christine Brinkley, I think, is that right? Chrissy Brinkley. Chrissy Brinkley. Chrissy Brinkley, sorry. Glasses. Glasses. I'd scribble that name on a piece of paper so I wouldn't forget it. Chrissy Brinkley. Christine Brinkley. He used to be married to Billy Joe Shaver. Oh, no, no. That's the one. No, but I remember first coming across him when he was a DJ on the West Coast of America and he played sometime in New York City. The double album that came out in 1972 without any commercial breaks as a kind of, you know, statement about how important this slightly controversial, if I remember, a slightly iffy record actually Terrible was, record. And was threatened with being sacked. And obviously Lennon developed kind of an affection for him. And towards the end of his life, well, no, then, then, then he interviewed Lennon, that's right, on the telephone. Um, and then they became kind of pals. He was allowed to kind of Dakota in a circle. And eventually finished up going. I remember reading a book about this. He went on holiday with Sean and Yoko oh, and John. Of course, yes. And it was brilliant. It, was, it gave you an insight into the way that John Lennon travelled. And you probably all of us would travel if we were monstrously rich. He would travel first class on, uh, on the 747s. And he would book 16 seats. So that there were the four of them, and then there were all the other twelve seats yeah. around, them, so that nobody could actually sit next to them yeah. because they'd booked and paid for every single seat. Is that working class hero, John Lennon? Or That's the that, very that, same that, man, oh, right, working okay. class yeah. hero. Yeah, yeah. But putting a little bit back there, yeah. Yeah. a little bit back to, to certainly to yeah. BA, doing things <laughs> to promote <laughs> universal brotherhood and all yeah. you know, oh, right. yeah. the human giving family, peace chance. giving peace a chance. Yeah, keeping it real. The lengths some people go to not sit next to Yoko. Imagine this. That's astonishing. So any minutes. Was premium. The thing that I was interested in is that any catastrophe that might happen in the career of Paris Hilton is as nothing to Elliot Mintz because he was one of the men who was on John Lennon's Lost Weekend when he disappeared to Los Angeles. Oh yeah, and, and went drank off himself into a steel diamond. Of people, no, Harry Nielsen. Harry, Harry Nielsen. <laughs> I'm having a good day, aren't I? It's, yeah. last, it's like last summer wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was there, you know, the famous John Lennon wearing a tampon on his forehead. That's and, right. Uh, and heckling whoever it was at the Troubadour. The Elliot, Smothers Brothers. The, the Smothers Brothers. There you go. There it's we are. Over there. That's right. And, uh, and uh, so he knows catastrophe. So well, that's just a regular weekend for Paris Hilton, though, isn't it? Running around, uh, you know, off your nut with a tampon on your head is probably, you know. Have you seen her business model, though? Paris Hilton, how this actually works. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, this may seem a minority interest, but I'm fascinated. How does Paris Hilton make money? She appears holding things in photographs. She turns up, she gets paid a fortune to yeah. just show up. So yeah. if you're going to open a, you know, a department store in South Korea... Or a jail. Or, <laughs> <laughs> I bet the jail is on a major, major rate-off from this one here. You can pay her the best part of a million dollars yeah. She will turn up, it's cheap these days, make also. a buffoon of herself for about 40 minutes. Hey, you know, hey presto, you're in absolutely all the papers. So I suppose the thing that fascinates me about Paris Hilton is you can become incredibly famous nowadays without necessarily being popular. 
because well, she put well, a record she's out. Fa- she's famous because people hate her. That's why she's famous. And I saw a fantastic headline in Bust magazine, the groovy American women's feminist type of magazine, which is lying on Jude's desk. And the headline was, we'll always have Paris brackets to punch in the face. And, this is what, this <laughs> and that's is, from the sisterhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's, uh, that's from no to violence to women. That's, that's right. In the case of Paris Hilton, we can make an exception. Yeah. And her and Lindsay Lohan and whoever else is yeah. coming afterwards. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I know, Dave, you have your theory about about uh, women's magazines and celebrity and how it's all just the pulling of the wings off the fly. It is. It's like it's Barbie dolls. I, yeah. As the father of two daughters who are past the Barbie doll stage now, I know that they all went through a period of cherishing these little objects and then went through a period of effectively taking them out into the garden, spraying lighter fluid on them and setting light to them. You know, it's a, yeah. and, and I That's think, exactly what boys do with airfix models, isn't it? But I suppose... So, well, yeah, it's, maybe with, maybe with planes, it's like, you know, it's, it's not an animate object. It's really, yeah. Whereas yeah. Uh, I always thought there's something vaguely scary about the fact that young women did this. Well, I think the same urge is now expressed in celebrity It magazine. is, yeah. It's a right you passage. Through, you go through yeah. a period yeah. of saying, God, she looks fabulous, she looks she's fabulous. really thin. And then, and then you go, torture she's dying, she's really thin. That's yeah, right, yeah. And, uh, so what you really want to do with a figure like that, like Paris Hilton, for instance, is put her in a very small environment filled with resentful women. That would be a terrible thing to do, wouldn't it? Like, like a jail, jail, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll watch... Uh, She'll have her own cell, I wouldn't worry about it. We'll watch her a jail career with interest. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Uh, you're listening to The Word Podcast. Uh, I'm David Hepworth. I'm joined by Mark Ellen and Andrew Harrison. If you want to know anything more about The Word Magazine or, uh, or the podcast or anything, uh, wordmagazine.co.uk. I wanted to follow up on something that we were talking about last week uh, with, uh, with Jude, when Andrew wasn't here on that occasion. And we were talking about uh, Jude and I have both uh, suddenly kind of fallen back in love with vinyl. And... Uh, and I was intrigued to pick up the paper today. Did you see the story in the Times about uh, what we'd been saying about CDs are too loud, as Nick Lowe had said? Yeah. Oh, right, <laughs> yes. There it is. You in can the turn time. them down, can't you? No, you can't. They're made too loud. It's a hu- they it. are made too loud. And now the, the, kind of the, the, the learned society of record producers and engineers are, are forming themselves into a special band and a kind of marching up Whitehall, trying to get the guys who master the things to turn the things back down again. It's interesting, isn't it? That they're just putting too much signal on these things. And they're saying they're making people feel ill. What is they're this? making but, people but feel this, nervous. I mean, I'm with Andrew, this, people do can voluntarily reduce the amount of volume. But it's not dynamic so. in the record, is it? Because it's, 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 it's relative sound within the record. The quiet bits have to be kind of quiet. The loud bits have to be kind of loud. Otherwise, yeah. you feel you're hearing this one level of sludge. And what's, what strikes me as what's happened in records is what's happened in the rest of the media in its entirety, which is that everybody's trying to be louder than everybody else. And there's this arms race of how can you be the thing that gets cut through? And people, you know, this horrible phrase, this marketing phrase, cut through. How can you cut through it all? Well, obviously, you do it by being louder, don't you? Absolutely. And point of fact, what tends to cut through is the stuff that's just different. could be quite a lot quieter. Well, it looks like the record business has just kind of taken it on board, face value. To get, on yeah. the radio, to get noticed on the radio, you've got to feel loud. It's the, ra- the radio's the thing to blame, isn't it? Because pe- people don't change the volume of the radio because they assume everything is coming to them at the same volume. So if you can make something that is intrinsically louder than the record yeah. that came before, it will have more impression. You know what's got really loud now? And I don't want this to turn into a room full of old fellows complaining. Yeah, <laughs> that loud. would be absolutely I would do. really, really loud. Me, actually, now. It goes really, really loud in a horrible way. Adverts. I've got so much louder now than they ever used to be. Well, they always deny this, don't they? They always they say you're lying. not allowed to they turn them on. Lying. Uh, 
Are you suggesting that advertisers are lying, Andrew? I wouldn't you suggesting that paid communicators could in any way be lying? Why do I, why do myself and my my lady wife have to keep the remote control on our knee every time the advert's got you to hit the mute button? Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, like, you know, uh, vases in the front room shatter and the cat jumps out the window. It's going, terrible. Going back to Nick Lowe. Back to music, yes. Yeah, going back to Nick Lowe, who I was talking to about, about this very subject, he said that... Uh, he mainly plays at home. He's going to play CDs, but he mainly plays country records and old rhythm and blues records. This is just what I do. Chrissy Hind, he said, sent me a new Pretenders album, Pretenders Greatest Hits or something, yeah. CD. He said, I put it on. He said, I thought the, I thought the roof was going to come off. <laughs> yeah. I was terrified. It was twice as loud. And this is thrusting in, in teenager first, Chrissy Hind yeah, as well. First, and yeah. de- yeah. deaf yeah. rock and roll. And deaf rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is the Pretenders. You know, it's not Cradle of Felt. Yeah. They're not... Yeah. They're not Designed to be that kind of level, they are because everybody has to be now. So, is it possible? Because I also read, uh, somebody was telling me that I think the NME, and we shouldn't really be publicising other publications, but you know, the NME, I suppose, is is part of society, isn't it? That the NME is going to have a a, a black vinyl uh, 45 uh, attached to the cover. Three white stripes, seven inch. And this takes me back to the days when I was buying the NME as a punter, when once a year or twice a year you would get a free seven inch black vinyl thing and it would have. Uh, a Smith's live track and Mantronics on it, and on the other side they have some terrible bit of jazz that the NME really liked at the time. Some kind of like really <laughs> Roy <laughs> Carr. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And a, a In cover, the mood, a cover by Serge Clay like, with a fellow wearing a beret and you know sort of playing bongos or something like that. And we thought it was Christmas. And it probably was Christmas. That was when they gave it away. Yeah. And now, of course, everything you know, there's nothing wrong with free CDs. This is the day we do a very. No, I, will it go to the next level? We then we did go... think it was a major, major thing to get free seven inch single. But the difference nowadays, presumably, most of those enemy readers are going to get this and not going to have anything to play it on. Well, this is the thing, because I've got a theory about the resurgence of the 17th single. The 17th single has been one of the fastest growing formats, in, amazingly, over recent years. And obviously, that's because it's starting from, like, no, three, the three copies a year, and six is 100% increased. But I, I really think that people buy the 17th single because it's the record that you buy and you don't play. You buy it because it's a lovely little objet d'art. Right. And you buy them now, and they're actually they're, they're heavy objects. They're not the crappy thin flexi discs that we used to pay 69p for you get a lot of vinyl for your money now yeah. they're like a, they're like an objet d'art they often have inner sleeves and all the rest of it and you buy it because you just want to feel good about having this white stripes object or this British sea power object and you put it on your shelf very few of them get played do you think the flexi disc will come back that's the next step surely I, I, I can't see wasn't it plastic no, because the ones lime green flexi disc there's no, no, there's no objet d'art the flexi disc there is the way. they're not terribly beautiful single. True. If you can imagine how far this, uh, you know, this society has come in terms of relative prosperity since the flexi disc, you know, the flexi disc when it used to appear, the green flexi disc on the cover of Smash Hits yeah. in 1981, fe- featuring XTC and Squeak. Indeed, flexi pop an entire yeah. magazine. Fifteen-year-olds you know, used to go; you, their eyes would light up. Oh yeah, at the prospect of a flexi disc. Now, yeah. I, their eyes don't even light up at the prospect of an iPod nowadays. You know. <laughs> It, 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 that that kind of thrill. Well, I think that, that, funnily enough, though, I think that giving away the Sony single on the NME is an example of that sort of, you know, don't try to be louder than anybody else, just try to be individual. No, no, fair enough. Sony single, I, give away with a, you know, it's actually, it, it, it says you're connected with something older than the current, you know, video, mobile phone, ring, ringtone, carry on. You yeah. know, you feel like you're connected with something a bit older and a bit richer. And I think that probably quite, quite, quite well for them. So, we would, when we were talking about vinyl last, last week, Mark made the point that it, it still hangs on in, in dance music. Is it still still hanging well, on? Well, ironically, dance music is kind of succumbing now. They're all going uh, downloads. They're all going WAV. They want to buy the WAV file. They'll pay £3.50 for a WAV, which is 
Mark's giving me the look now. A WAV, Mark, an MP3. I'm sure I know what a WAV is. A WAV is a high definition. No, the reason I was giving you the look is that I I can't understand why the theatre of playing vinyl would be something they'd want to lose. Because if you watch two people, you know, a couple of twin decks or something, the half of it is the fact that they're keying up vinyl, they've got headphones on, and there's a lot of skill and editing involved. If you're just powering up a WAV file. It certainly looks that way, Mark, and it would be outrageous for me to suggest that any name DJs have actually got it all on CD uh, underneath the decks and are just just miming. Name just a few names. really, wrong. I, I, I can just about take you saying that advertisers might be guilty of, of, of playing with the truth. But you're suggesting name DJs are doing things that are slightly underhand in order to make themselves look better. Don't make me go any further, Dave. Don't make <laughs> me go any further. take this. No, it has been no. But it, actually, what's really happening, the above-board thing that's happening now... We're going to come back to this subject next week with, with, with names, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are going to no, point the not, finger. No, you certainly not. Not, not from you, Otherwise, but... it'll be me and Paris Hilton. Up, <laughs> you know. but, yeah, I mean, it does happen. But, but the, the above-board thing that's happening is they are actually all going on to laptop mixing now. And, uh, you know, there's all manner of sort of digital mixing tools where you can, uh, you know, basically treat uh, an MP3 or a WAV mark, which is like a big MP3. But it's you really can treat them like records and mix them and pitch them up and pitch them down and chop out bits and all the rest of it. And um, that's kind of the way it's going. So the 12-inch single, it'll always have a longer life within the world of dance music, but it too is kind of being slowly eroded by, by digital stuff. Yeah, but I'm really am going to sound a bit old-fashioned enough. I think it's dull, the idea. It's very dull to watching somebody mixing something off a laptop. It's I mean, like just, watching just, send an email. But, but then again, uh, <laughs> I'm sending an email, maybe a text message. Or oh, I remember seeing the chemical rubbers at, uh, at Glastonbury. Yeah. With you, actually, I was fascinated by that. It was obviously all on some massive great yeah. bank. And all they're actually doing is adding tiny little bits of treble and tiny little well, bits I, of melody. No, no, no. It was a more than live, that. Live acts like the Chemical Brothers and Orbital when they were doing it, they actually were, in a manner, kind of playing it live. They were... They were sort of queuing stuff up and rearranging it and, yes, kind of mixing it from the stage yeah. as well. But, you know, it, it was a lot more than just pressing the start button. And, I mean, I believe Vince, oh. Vince Clark from Erasure was quite open for a while. What he did was he pressed the start button and then he went and worked the lights. And people thought those were volume faders or something. Well, I don't know what they thought, but I mean, it was, it was legitimate, really, because you're conducting a show. Yeah. Uh, you know, you might as well just, you know, operate. Make yourself lasers. busy. Yeah, too much. Absolutely, yeah. So you could wander on stage with a hostess trolley and nobody would be any the wiser, really. You know, you're just standing behind something that looks roughly like a keyboard. Well, I Pressing some buttons. It's possible, but I, I, my kind of impression is that the dance acts that you think aren't really playing anything. More often than not, they're playing more than you think they are. And the rock acts that you think are really doing it properly for the kids with bleeding fingers all the rest of it. Oh, well, absolutely awesome. agree with they're that. They're doing an awful lot less than you oh, think yeah. they're doing. A well, lot of them are just throwing a good shape. There's a terrible rumour that I couldn't possibly confirm that a major act is currently, you know, appearing up and down, well, not just UK, but the world, yeah. uh, with, uh, you know, millions of session musicians behind him or her. Yes. Uh, well, none of yes. whom are actually playing anything that you're hearing because it's all just coming off Pro Tools or whatever. Well, yeah. Were well, they originally a quintet, Dave? Are they British? Uh, I, I couldn't be drawn any further. Okay. Um, because, you, you, no, I couldn't. I simply, <laughs> I, think, I, simply, I think we know who you're talking yeah. about. No, I don't think you do, actually. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know. I'd like to write on a piece of paper and hold it up to you. <laughs> so, so, ladies and gentlemen, if you're off, off out tonight to see, you know, some uh, prestigious act and you've paid an absolute fortune, you yes. know, that's going to nag away. It yeah, is going to really worry say, you. Take, take your opera glasses and see if you can uh, yeah. connect what's happening on stage to what's coming out into your ears. Is it live or is it Memorex? as they used to say. Yeah. Uh, you're listening to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth. I'm joined by uh, Mark Allen and Andrew Harrison, wordmagazine.co.uk. Another thing we were... Last week, we had a celebrity guest anecdote. 
from the great Nick Lowe, who was talking about how when he'd been involved in lending one of his tunes to the soundtrack of The Bodyguard, he'd been approached by Kevin Costner, who said, listen to this tape of It's a Mate of Mine, do you, do you have any feedback, whatever. Yeah. And he'd uh, subsequently come to, the, come to the view that actually it was probably Kevin Costner was the mate because you know just about what we found is that all famous actors or a huge proportion of them doesn't matter how much of a superstar they are they still like to think that they could be a rock star it runs very very and tennis players and uh, and novelists I suppose so and Prime Minister (laughs) Stephen King's got a band hasn't he uh, Stephen King, he, yes, he has got a band. Uh, what is it, the the Rock Solid Remainders or something? I think like that, absolutely with, right there. Oh, with yeah. Loads of loads of other uh, yeah. loads of other novelists. But at, anyway, this Nick Lowe story led to somebody getting in touch via the website wordmagazine.co.uk and sent us a link to an extraordinary story that appeared in Australia about Russell Crowe's unbelievable lengths he went to to try and uh, find himself allies on the music scene because he's got a band, hasn't he? The name of which is, I can't remember. 30 uh, Odd Foot of Grunts, I believe, is the name of the band. Funny, they don't Oh, have that's his current yet. band. But Russell Crowe, surely in the 80s, was a kind of Simon Le Bon look-alike pop star, briefly, wasn't he, with a mullet? I'm was absolutely he? sure he was, yeah. Mm. Convinced. Is that like Christine Brinkley? Yeah, no. Maybe <laughs> another thing I've just fantasised. Yeah. I'm really I, I, I worried thought, about I thought this. that 30-odd foot of drums was a kind of long, continuing thing. I mean, his mates remember him before he was brilliant and famous. But they're still going because Russ wants to keep it real. I, well, I, I should be wrong. I, I think he had a little brief dalliance with, with, with the pop music, actually. Oh, with Lady Fame? I think so, oh, yeah. Right. In the same way that Ricky Gervais did with the Shona dance. Oh, right. exactly the same time, in fact. But anyway, so, but Russell Crowe still... You know, keeps this his, his fond sort of dream career, isn't it? That he can be Bruce Springsteen or something like that, which clearly he can't. But he's prepared to put absolute fortunes into doing it, which uh, seems to lead naturally into a discussion that one of those that we keep coming back to regularly mm. about which actors, in our experience, have made the worst musicians, and which musicians. <laughs> Have made the worst actors. It's a, it's a rich seam. It's, it's a rich seam, you know, because none of them ever break through, do they? I mean, the actors who go and make music, do they ever really? I mean, there's Look, actually bizarrely enough, like bizarrely enough, Juliet Lewis and her band The Licks um, aren't considered to be all that bad, and they've got something approaching a career. And, you know, they play, and people go and see them because they, you know, because they like that. It's not that kind of thing, but they go to them because they think they're all right. And that, I'm quite surprised at that because I looked at it and I thought. That is a rubbish Hollywood vehicle if ever I saw one. Didn't we see Dog Star, the Keanu Reeves uh, group at, at Glastonbury? I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah, he was on very uh, early. Th- th- and they were all right, but you, you felt for him because what can he possibly do? You know, he's yeah. the bass guitarist in a three-piece kind of grime band. And, yeah. and you know, the whole... Ex- I mean, the, 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 normally the audience would just be mud-caked revellers, you know, yeah. looking for that kind of music. In fact, there's just loads of very well-turned-out 14-year-old girls. Uh, or with video cameras and so what can you do you can't really win can you I mean um, well, you know, what you could do if you really wanted to make a go of it was just keep plugging away and make fewer films and, and sort of demonstrate that you actually you really cared about doing this but that's never going to happen is it? no they're not I I but they were by no means exceptional I can't think of an honest. instance when it actually has happened whenever anybody's actually gone right actually this is me yeah although um, actually I tell a lie I can think of one person who basically packed in the acting and became enormous and it's Kylie you know she was for years just this novelty figure and now she's considered to be a proper music. And yeah, strangely so, yeah. enough, only once went back to acting, didn't she? Well, she, she made yeah. one film. She was in Street Fighter. Sorry? She was in Street Fighter, a film of a video game. 
And people went, oh, that's funny, isn't it? Kylie's made a film. Wasn't she in some sort of Second World War, kind of Japanese prisoner of war thingy like that? I don't know. Two films. But you'd have thought somebody by now would have said, so what, Kylie? Huge, great starring vehicle for you. You know, some kind of European, Australian co-production or something. But it, it, it doesn't appear to have happened. Well, she's going to be in the Christmas Doctor Who, apparently. So there you go. <laughs> That's Andrew's particular... <laughs> yes. That's Andrew's, Andrew's specialist subject there. Because the other thing that intrigues me about the, the likes of Dogstar and the Juliet Lewis thing is that there seems no greater mismatch between being a Hollywood superstar where they get paid millions of dollars for just turning up, don't they? And being an indie rock star, where most of them get no money whatsoever, Absolutely no you know money, what I mean? No profit. You, you kind of, it's like, you know, it's like David Beckham suddenly deciding he's going to be in a small indie, scuffling indie rock band, you know. But you, what, can't, you can't do it, can you? There's no better way, presumably, to approach the world of indie rock than one from uh, the well-heeled comfort of having a massively <laughs> enlarged suppose, bank yeah. balance. So it's just, old, it's just a hobby. But know? it must put the rest of the band in... Uh, it, it, Severely in your debt, must well, doesn't it? I mean, isn't it just the case that the rest of the band are just an entourage by any other name? They just happen to play the bass guitar. Your you mates. Know, well, yeah, well, your your Hollywood mates. Yeah, yeah. What Hollywood mates are like. You know, they tend to be mates on a payroll. And you know, if you've got your band, then your drummer probably is yeah. fulfilling a similar similar role. So that's actors but, and musicians. But musicians, but musicians are any good at acting. Go on. Well, I mean, I, th- I can. Well, let's uh, talk about the ones who are bad first. Well, the, are you, where do you want to start? The negative or the well, positive? Well, I think the positive. I thought, I thought, I thought Sting wasn't too bad in Dune because he didn't have to say anything, did he? And I don't think I don't think Madonna was appalling in, in Desperately Seeking Susan because again she didn't really speak, but, but she made up for it. Oh, and everything. I don't worry. No, she's come back with a vengeance and all yeah. the others. You know, Chris Christopherson is he an actor or a musician? Chris Christopherson's had a few respectable performances. Uh, what do you call it? The Heaven's Gate and uh, Cisco Pike, very early in his career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Things like that. Cher turned, played a blinder in something or other. Cher is yeah. perfectly respectable. Actor. Totally respectable. Yeah. Silkwood. Completely Silkwood. Uh, the what's Luna the Mermaids, Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Perfectly respectable. No She's problem at all. stopped, hasn't she? I suppose. Has Cher retired? Well, I don't know. I mean, she had a kind of. She had a big. I'm making records come back, didn't she? It was the one where the voice goes up and down. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. One. Uh, I don't know what she's doing now. I had an email today from somebody, a word reader, saying, what's happened to David Bowie? Has he retired? We haven't heard from, from him for two years. David heart Bowie, attack, right? David heart Bowie attack. will never retire. No, he had a heart attack, didn't he? he had a heart attack. Yeah. And heart surgery, I think I'm right to say. Oh, really? So I was trying to respond to this guy. I thought I'd just check, actually, because I, I just thought he'd had semi-retired. But he won't retire, well, ever, surely. And I preface this by saying, according to Holly Mellon, Apparently, David Bowie spends his days watching SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> that is made and, up. And Deal or No Deal. And, uh, you know, Buffy on DVD over and over again. I'm sure we're making this up. Made up. David Bowie, good I, or bad actor? Both. Right. Come and on, explain that. Explain that. Splendid in the man who fell to it. Great in Labyrinth, actually. Really good in Labyrinth. <laughs> and kidding. even quite good in that awful thing with Patsy Kenzie in it. Absolute beginners. Oh, Quite good yeah. in that. See, I think 99%, I've been thinking about this a lot, I think 99% of them are absolutely terrible. Be- and it's really interesting because they're generally cast in order to sort of play themselves, right? Yes. But, you know, you, you cast Mick Jagger in a movie because you want a bit of Mick Jaggerness, don't you? Or oh, Madonna-ness yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Which ought to make it easy for them. But most of them are absolutely terrible at being themselves once they're placed in front of a film camera, 
in, Bob in Dylan movie... playing the part of Alias in uh, in Pat Garrett was just a sort of uh, slightly embarrassing. Uh, well, I was looking at uh, you can look at you can you know enjoy all these little treats on YouTube nowadays. You can go and look as I did this morning. Mick Jagger in Free Jack. Right, which is <laughs> give us a little taste. Futuristic of this, thriller, and basically they, they said, Mick, you, you're a bit sinister, you're a sympathy for the devil, and whatever. You've got to be a bit frightening. When Mick Jagger is given a line, uh, Mick Jagger, let me tell you, who I've met on a number of occasions, is frightening and can be frightening. You know, he's a chilly individual. Put him in a film and say, Mick, here's your lines. Be frightening. He's, he's as frightening as SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> it just it doesn't work at all. And I was watching a very interesting program the other day about John Wayne, where Charlton Heston said, all you've got to know about John Wayne is how hard he worked at his walk. And then they just showed you loads of clips. Surely once you've mastered your walk, you've got it, and it's like riding a bike. Now, if if somebody tells you, here's a film camera, camera, you're on set, you know, it's costing a million pounds a day. John, do your walk. do your walk. Most of us are incapable of doing what is our natural walk. Whereas an actor... Can do, you know, they, they've made the yeah. natural thing into an immensely disciplined thing, like an athlete yeah. would or something, you know. And it fascinates me looking at these people Madonna in films, Bob Dylan in films, Sting yeah. in films, David Bowie in films. They're hopeless versions of themselves yes. because of the demands of the, of, the, of the film. Two exceptions, okay? Two well, exceptions. Go on then. One of whom you probably wouldn't call a rock singer, but the two exceptions are two of the biggest stars who ever walked to the earth, who were brilliant at playing themselves. One was Frank Sinatra, and the other was Elvis Presley. Who could do themselves. Now, I know Elvis Presley made appalling films. They were shocking films. But you couldn't take your eyes off him. Yeah. You know what I mean? He delivered Elvis into yeah. the screen. You know, what, was going, what he was required to do was kind of embarrassing, but he wasn't embarrassing. Frank Sinatra delivered Sinatra-ness into films, into all kinds of films, ranging from dreadful ones to quite good ones. Absolutely brilliantly, with utter conviction. And I don't think there's anybody else who's done it at all. I interviewed George Martin the other day. He was telling me about uh, being in the studio in 1955 when uh, Sinatra was making Come Fly With Me. And he said he was just stuck in a little booth watching Sinatra and a 30-piece audience, uh, audience, orchestra. And uh, with Sinatra's then-girlfriend, Lauren Bacall, <laughs> who was wearing a beret. Do you think that's good? It's quite Do you think good. I'd quite like to be in a little booth with Lauren Bacall watching Frank Sinatra recording with you? Do you think that's oh, as exciting as being at a Pete Doherty recording session? Or, you know, Possibly more exciting. Do you think it's slightly But going back exciting. to the actors, has any, have any of us seen Keith Richards as Captain Jack's dad in um, Pirates of the Caribbean? It's supposed to be an appalling film, isn't it? It's supposed to be, but then I think it's a, that's one of those review-proof films, isn't it? Everybody's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm quite intrigued to just see him being... Being him. Because Johnny Jack is meant to be playing him anyway. Well, so. he's doing the impersonation of the person. Yeah, yeah, the impersonation of him, exactly, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you, one other person who is quite good in one part, one rock star who has been quite good, is Steve Van Zandt in The Sopranos. Yes. He's really because good. he's yeah. just, some genius looked at him and said, you could play that part. Yes. You know, you just have that look. And he looks faintly ill at ease doing it, but that kind of works because the character he's playing Looks yeah. faintly ill at ease. Well, at the same time, bit in the in the, uh, the penultimate episode of the series has just gone out on E4, which I think is the penultimate series, where for the first time in about about five years, Silvio kills somebody, and seeing Stevie at Steve Van Zandt killing somebody is quite impressive. Actually, you kind of think, God, Steve, you know, he's not just standing there going whatever and showing you that you know strange haircut of his. He really can do it, and it's a very chilling scene. 
And then, you know, you sort of envisage him on stage at East Street Band, and think, you know, Bruce, keep away from him. Yeah, it's quite a lot of bad side. Will he ever get another part after that one? I don't know, you know, do you think? Well, they're always going to be making mob movies. Rom-coms, do you think? Is that what you're saying? Oh, no. I can't the new, see. New Hugh Grant. I can't see. Him and see. Drew Barrymore and the next, no, the music and lyrics no, too. No, no, no. I, think he could, I think he could get a, a kind of position as, you know, a kind of beloved icon type of thing. I think he could, you know, he'll, he'll never, name never above the title, but an amusing thing to have in the background while, you know, Brad Pitt and Courtney Love are faffing around in the foreground, I think. Is it too late to reconvene the, well, I suppose they're mainly dead, the cast of Last of the Summer Wine? And, uh, you know, well, this was how Steve Van Zandt moves into <laughs> Home Firth, couldn't we, to get away, to get away from the mob, and, uh, and spends the rest of his days being pushed downhill in a wheelbarrow by uh, Pete Sellers. It's a thought. Well, the interesting thing about the cast of Last of the Summer Wine is because it kept changing anyway, and, you know, it's the same. But so you wouldn't, you know, seeing Silvio in the middle of Home Firth, you can imagine it. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. You listen to the Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth. Uh, I'm joined by Mark Ellen and Andrew Harrison. And we're at that point in the programme, Mark, where it's traditional to, uh, to actually... Matt sent me an email today and said, what about the horror? It's now called the horror. <laughs> and Andrew sent, me, Andrew sent me an email with an amusing picture of, of, of a Jewish wedding with uh, you know people... Pinning banknotes on each other and, uh, and waving, waving, hankies, in waving air, yeah. hankies in the air while dancing, because so, that being the Hebrew dance. So we're going to have the horror. But no, the no, no, horror, no, no, no. in terms of the word podcast, is the hoary old rock anecdote. That being the you know, acronym. And uh, and while we're talking about the subject of, uh, of rock stars being actors and uh, and actors being rock stars, what help, a perfect link! Couldn't help but call to mind the man that, that, that we all call. <laughs> the loaf. The man we call the loaf. <laughs> loaf. And I should just start by saying that meatloaf, and it's you know it's it's one of my things that I never shake off, is is despite what sub editors all over the world think, is two words, isn't it, Mark? It is meatloaf. Meat exactly. and loaf. Yeah. Because yes. Mrs. Loaf, Leslie, that's what Leslie, her, that's right. Leslie used, Adair. She used to call him meat. Didn't she, she? Did. she did. So you know that's the first name and the second name. And, uh, and the reason we want to bring this up is that, uh, is that Mark Ellen, way, way back in the, in the midst of history, back at... Uh, He's back not getting overcooked here, is he? He's not getting overbuilt up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this in case you, in case you disappoint. You know? No, the truth is, Dave, that, uh, keep going, because I'm trying to remember, it was 1982, I think, and I was going to go and look this up today. Christine Brinkley. <laughs> I'm really worried about your memory. It's Rock and Roll Alzheimer's. It was the Jack Woolley of Rock and Roll. It was 1982, and I went out for Smash Hits magazine to interview Meat, because he, well, he was in the middle of that whole... He was the biggest thing in the world. They were waiting for the follow-up to Bat Out of Hell. And the reason they were waiting, part of the reason they were waiting, was because Jim Steinman, who produced, I think, co-wrote some of the material. Well, wrote it all. In fact, wrote it all. And kind of owned it. A guy called, I think his name was Marvin Aday, a.k.a. Meatloaf, to basically be the actor-singer. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, Marvin, a.k.a. Meat, uh, decided he wanted a slightly bigger slice of the pie than the one that Steinman... Let's keep this metaphor going, actually. (laughs) That Steinman was going to uh, dish out. And I, I, I was I was ferried up to his house in upstate New York by a guy called Julian Shapiro. Julian Shapiro. CBS Records in, in New York. Remember him well. Sensational bloke. Very, very serious uh, press officer. Been in the game a long time. And he kept telling me about it. You know, Meat is in a very good place at the moment. He's very chatty. He's got lots to say. You know, he really feels this is the first album that's really expressed himself. I was going, yeah, let me at the old boy. I'd, I'll deal with this. And we get to the house and there is indeed a, a Mrs. Meat called Leslie. 
who referred to him as meat. And there were two small flax and hair children sort of floating around. Aged little meat. Three, for little, yeah. tiny little meat, loaves. Tiny little pies. Little buns. That's right, yeah, little yeah. buns. That's right. <laughs> Slices of ham. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we sat down. He was just just huge, great, um, uh, effervescent character with a baseball cap turned around the wrong way, you know, drank a lot of beer and stuff. And eventually, I was told all the way up by Julian Spear, do not, under any circumstances, ask him about his law suit with Jim Steinman. So what are you going to do? The man is on a short fuse. Um, he may get violent. Um, I, I can't really be held responsible for his actions, so don't want, under any circumstances, mention it. And obviously, any journalist who is told, who worth their salt, told her, the first thing they do is steam him with a big old question. So I stirred my cup of tea and said, mate, listen, mate, before we get on to the album, I need a bit of a, a rumble with that. And he was absolutely furious about this and said he wasn't going to talk about it. And two seconds later, <laughs> the sound of a gigantic sort of, uh, you know, uh, people carrying Jeep coming up the drive. Gravel drive. Gra- hugely thick gravel sinking into the gravel <laughs> drive. And the uh, ominous crunch of a pair of boots coming out ringing the doorbell. And Mrs. Meat goes down. And I could hear a sound go, meat, meat. There's a guy to see you. And he says, he says I don't know, but he's, he's waving pieces of paper. <laughs> and this doesn't sound good. I look out the top window with meat to see who it is. And it is indeed a, a, a kind of an attorney. There's no other word for it. This guy has brought, later this guy has brought papers that were to secure the, 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 the repossession of meat's house and all his <laughs> material goods, which were quite substantial, actually. This big old pile. I couldn't include you. you were Probably included me, Mrs. Meat, and my little pies. And uh, anyway, his response, his response was to run into the corner and come out with a baseball bat, right, and just hair downstairs. This is a big guy. He must have been about 21 stone. Kick open his own front door and charge. Oh, I can just remember the sound of these crunching pair of boots <laughs> and give chase to this guy using some very, very uh, fruity vernacular, an Anglo-Saxon, and also Americanised with the word motherfucker, used very, very liberally, actually. And uh, in conjunction with pin your ass to the ground. And I just thought it was like a cartoon. And he just disappeared around the end of his drive. It's it brilliant. You know, Julian Shapiro trying to kind of bundle me into a car saying, there's nothing to see, there's nothing, there's nothing to look at. We're going back to New York now. Mrs. Meat wailing and crying, going, Meat, don't kill him, don't kill him. And Meat like charging down the drive, just belabouring this guy with a piece of baseball bat. And I can remember just thinking, I wish this wasn't for Smash Hits magazine. You know, I wish this was for the, you know, the Sunday Times or something. It would have been, or, or indeed Word magazine, had it been invented at the time, I could have done it justice. Of course, I had to come back and say what a cosy old chap he was. There was a little bit of a ruck with the, with the law at the end, but uh, a slightly neutered version of it. But that's, that's why they tend to avoid uh, letting you into their own home. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your rock in, in fairness, Dave, it's not very often that somebody turns up with legal papers to say, repossess. So we're taking ownership of this house because you don't own your own album. That's never. I mean, sometimes somebody will turn up and say. You dream of occasions like the milkman might turn up and say you owe me last week's money, but that's about as far as it goes. Oh, yeah, wouldn't I mean you know an interview with the wedding present or something would be massively improved. I think, Dave, if, if somebody tried to repossess all their um, material goods, do you think? It would. It would. Yeah, it was perfect. We can, but long. No. Well, that's about it from us uh, for this uh, for this week. Thanks for listening. If you want to know anything more about the uh, the Word podcast or Word magazine, uh, wordmagazine.co.uk. And if you're if you're getting this off iTunes, uh, don't forget to leave us some uh, glowing feedback uh, because every little helps. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.